I tell you, I am so grateful. So grateful to be here uh, standing in this pulpit that I'd seen a few times before I ever stepped into it. It's remarkable. It's a lot. It's even more to know all those who have preached here before. Betty mentioned I had the great privilege of having Robbins as my boss for a couple years when he was my district superintendent. And uh, not only was his time then uh, a great blessing to me, but through it uh, began a, a deep friendship for which I am incredibly, incredibly grateful. And as I begin to count up all the people, associate pastors, senior pastors who have passed through Dolphin Way and then at some point in their lives made my life possible, I am awed to be standing uh, in the same pulpit that they have preached from. My wife Jennifer and our family had the amazing opportunity to spend a few hours with uh, Dr. Steve Dill and with Ruth this week. And uh, though we'd not met him before this week, uh, those few hours were enough to know that I should be awed to be standing right here and standing before you. I am so very grateful, so grateful to the staff who have been so warm in their welcome and so excellent in their work, so grateful to Kathy and to Woods who have uh, begun showing me the ropes and who've been friends for a long time. Kathy and I have shared seven years worth of work on the Board of Ordained Ministry together. Very grateful to Betty Stone uh, and to our SPRC who made us feel so incredibly welcome from the very first. I've told the story a few times now, but when we showed up for our first introductory meeting, we came with still some, uh, some tears in some of our eyes, and especially our kids just sorrowful for what we were leaving, as happy as we were about where we were going. Uh, we walked in, you know, fielding some questions from the back seat of the minivan about, you know, so how long is, do we have to stay in Crestview where we are? And we walked into that meeting where Betty had scattered the table with all kinds of treats, more than we could uh, take in during that meeting, and a lot more sugar than our kids really needed for that evening. And uh, after a couple hours with the SPRC, with Betty, showing them around this beautiful, beautiful campus, our kids were asking, do we have to go back to Crestview? Can we just stay here now? So grateful. And really grateful for you. Grateful for your uh, accommodation. Uh, I was given my, my over-the-ear mic, but uh, didn't realize it was on me to put the batteries in it. So. Appreciate your uh, appreciation of the and the accommodation of the cascading things that have been happening up here as we, we sorted that all out. But I'm even more grateful that you're here because I've been warned. People have been telling me since I got here to lower my expectations. Pastor, don't expect too much out of the crowd on your first Sunday. It's July and it's Mobile. And it's the 4th of July weekend on top of that. So don't take it personally. I don't know why people thought that I would take it personally. Why it would be personal to me when folks choose whether or not to honor the Lord of all creation, the one true God, by gathering with the people that he has anointed for praise. It seems like if people choose to keep away from that, that says a lot less about me and a lot more about, well... Truth is, though, I suspect the bishop intends to humble us preachers 
by sending us to churches on this particular weekend when no matter what, we are certain to be overshadowed by other celebrations. There have been a lot of celebrations this week. I don't know if you noticed. Maybe you saw them on the news. Maybe they seemed to you like a little too much. Maybe they seemed to you like they were long overdue. But as I've been watching all the 4th of July and Independence Day celebrations this week, there's been something missing. In all the odes to democracy and revolution, not one of them has spoken to me about what seems most unique to me about my homeland. Out of all of America's many contributions to the world, I want to submit to you today that the greatest of these is free refills. You're skeptical. It doesn't sound like much. But I want you to think about what is implied when you go to a restaurant and you sit there with a glass of tea or water or Coke and you know that it will never, ever run dry. I haven't been here in Mobile long, but I've already eaten at a Vietnamese restaurant and a Nepalese Indian restaurant, and I have eaten at Taco Mama's and I have eaten at Foo Sackley's and I have tasted and seen that the foo is good. (laughs) And in every one of these places, the only thing that held them in common was the absolute assurance I had. I didn't even have to ask ahead of time. I knew that when I got to the end of my glass, there would be more. They just come with free refills. And when I have consumed gallons of whatever is my drink of choice for the day, when I am so full that I can actually hear my belly sloshing as I walk, I can take my cup up one more time and ask for some to go, and they'll give it to me. I never thought too much about this great American tradition of free refills until I was a young adult and I had the privilege to spend a few months in England. I and several classmates flew over in September of 2001 to study for a term, and we had a wonderful visit, but by November, homesickness had set in. The air was changing, and we were tired, tired of living in cramped quarters with no kitchen, tired of paying for the same cheap food that was all we could afford, and most of all, we were so tired of paying four bucks for eight ounces of Coke or tea or even water and knowing that that would not be refilled unless we paid up again. We'd look at the waiter at every meal like, please, sir, I want some more. And they just look at us, nothing doing. And now Thanksgiving was coming on. And all any of us could think about was the feast that we were missing back home and how we were missing out. And then one day, one of us discovered the Texas Embassy. Now, the real Texas Embassy closed down in 1845 when the short-lived nation of Texas became the state of Texas and joined the United States. But in London, in the building in place of the old Texas Embassy, there was once the Texas Embassy restaurant the finest Tex-Mex joint in London. And when the word got out about that, you should have seen it. You know those scenes in action movies? The ones where the Americans are running pell-mell through the streets or driving at a high and unsafe rate of speed. They're knocking over grandmothers, running into walls, going in a near-blind panic, hoping to make it to the embassy in the midst of some crisis before the gates are closed against the riot or the trouble outside. That was us when we heard that at the Texas Embassy you could get a real honest-to-home hamburger. We heard rumor that you could get nachos 
so big you could share them with three people and so good that you wouldn't. And above all we heard, whispered with trembling lips, that there were free refills. When we heard this, the 20 of us threw in together and decided that we would splurge on a Thanksgiving feast. And that Thursday, as we gathered up in the loft, the, the reserved area, we feasted. And more than the turkey, more than the stuffing, what put a smile on our faces was every time we turned to the waiter and said, can I get a refill? And we did. Free. No questions asked. We stretched our bladders like whoopee cushions. And there in that foreign land, we felt like we were at home. That's what an embassy does. In the Gospels, Jesus spends almost every sermon trying to convince the disciples that they are in a foreign land. You see, some of them thought that they belonged to a nation called Rome. Others would have said Judea. But Jesus kept telling them, no, you are different. You belong to the kingdom of heaven. He has this famous sermon, maybe you've heard of it. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And in that sermon, Jesus spends all his time explaining what the kingdom of heaven looks like. He begins by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on about how this kingdom is ruled by mercy and peace. And he mentions that this kingdom, like any nation, has its enemies. And he says that it will be persecuted and it will be threatened, but it will not be defeated. And in that same sermon, he teaches us to pray that strange little prayer that we continue to offer every week. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus' most famous sermon is about teaching people how to recognize the kingdom of heaven. And that's great, because we love to talk about heaven. We love to talk about someday. We love to talk about when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. But Jesus brings a little surprise on us in the sermon that we hear today. Hear it again. The kingdom of heaven is like a tiny mustard seed that becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in all its branches. The kingdom of heaven is like this little bit of yeast that worked its way into every last bit of the flower. The kingdom begins as this little thing, a seed, a bit of yeast, a sprinkling, and it doesn't sound like the kingdom is someplace that exists far off and far away, or even only in the future. It sounds like there is a little bit of the kingdom. You might call it an embassy that is planted right here and right now. If people wanted to see an embassy from the kingdom of heaven, where would they look? From the very beginning, Christians have had a word for our embassies planted on foreign soil. We call that word church. No matter who we think we belong to, a nation, a city, a race, God says first, the church belongs to Him. And as we are getting to know one another, as we are figuring out what it means for us to be church together, I want you to know that the first, the last, the only mission of the church is to be a part of God's kingdom here on earth with our budgets, with our prayers, with our fellowship, the fundamental question that we are to ask is, what does the kingdom look like? And we're not going to sort all that out today. This sermon's only an hour long. 
I'll tell you this much, though. We got time to figure it out. And in that time, I really only have two sermons I'll ever preach. The first one says, Jesus is king. And the second one says, his kingdom is like. And it turns out there's a lot to fill in after that phrase. A lot to be said about what the kingdom is like. It keeps surprising me. Even now, after all these years, even in these scriptures I've been reading all my life. It took Jesus his whole ministry to explain the kingdom, and it will probably take most of us most of our lives to see it clearly. But today there are three things I can say with confidence about the kingdom of heaven. And the first is this, that a kingdom has a king, and I'm not it. Jesus is the king. That's one of my sermons, remember? And he won that title by defeating every power on earth. He wore a crown of thorns, and he turned it into the crown above all crowns. Jesus is our king, and my promise to you is that I won't pretend to be the king. I won't ask anything of you that I won't ask of myself. Now, I can't do everything that you do every time that you do it. Y'all do a lot of stuff. Have you noticed that? So I can't be at every bit of it every single time. But whether it's giving money or time or working with your hands or working with your head, if I preach it, I'll live it. Call me out if I don't. But here's the flip side to that. If I'm not better than you, then I'll ask you to do everything I do. Whether it's spending time in prayer or reading or visiting or volunteering or proclaiming your faith to the world that needs to know good news, if I do it, I'll eventually ask you to as well. After all, I'm nothing special. I'm just another subject of the king. I know who the king is, and I know that he is king of everything, and so everything comes back to him. It's been my privilege in recent years to, to work with scores of new preachers and even teenagers preparing to address the church for the first time and give their first message. And I always tell them, you can preach about whatever need or hope or problem you want to address in your sermon, but you cannot choose the answer to it. The answer is always Jesus. The answer is never, I'll work harder tomorrow and tomorrow I'll figure it out for myself. The answer is never, well, all would be well if we just got rid of them. The answer is always Jesus. And the fun, the challenge, the joy is to figure out how. How it is that the life, the death, the resurrection, and the reign of Jesus changes everything. It's a good rule for preaching. It's a good rule for living. Not simply to ask what would Jesus do, but what has He done, and what difference does it make right here? right now, in this moment. Because what we do with our money, with our bodies, with our thoughts, what we do at home and on the softball field and in the workplace and in our neighborhood, it all matters. And Jesus is the Lord of it all. These places and these people and you, your whole self, this is what God Himself longs to reconcile. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, the question you have to answer is, what does this have to do with Jesus? So I know these things, that Jesus is Lord, and that He is Lord of everything. And I know that He is the Lord 
for everyone. I'm sure you know this. I'm sure you've heard this occasionally in some places. Folks will say it. Never in Mobile, I'm sure, but in some places I've been. Oh, you'd be a great fit in fill-in-the-blank church. I'm sure you know this already, but the only appropriate, the only acceptable word to fill in the blank is our. Tell all your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your enemies, and tell strangers on the street. You'd be a great fit. You belong in our church. After all, Jesus was not particularly picky about who He let follow Him. He had lepers and harlots and beggars and teenagers. He had Africans and Asians and even Romans. It's there in the Bible. Look it up. And every so often, almost as if by accident, there would come along one nice, well-adjusted, emotionally healthy person to follow Jesus as well. And it's not like they all got along, by the way. Just look at the book of Acts. They fought over all kinds of things, over food and marriage and money, but they stayed together because the one thing that they had in common was stronger than whatever might drive them apart. So I'm convinced that anyone is welcome into the kingdom. It's not easy for all kinds of Christians to be together, but that's what heaven looks like. And we're figuring it out, sorting it out now. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells we who have been reconciled to God that we have been given a ministry of reconciliation and that we are the ambassadors of reconciliation. And being an embassy of the kingdom means that we will do whatever it takes to help others know what it is like to be loved, transformed, and reconciled by the presence of God. Because the embassy of heaven is not like those other embassies I mentioned. You know, the ones that you've seen? Gates closed. Wide open. And said, come to me. And the nations of the world will see the kingdom of heaven when they see our abundance. And the table is ready and it is waiting for anyone who is a desperate, who is desperate for a taste. And the world will see the kingdom of heaven when it sees a people who give themselves to each other and to their neighbors and above all to God and who give it all without fear because we know that there is no part of sharing that could be called a sacrifice when we know that we dwell in the heavenly courts with God. And we know that his grace will never run out and his cup will never run dry. We who know that at the table of the Lord, our cup runneth over. How could we be afraid? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.